0: We'd put them on this roller coaster. They'd get to the top of the lift hill and they'd say something like, Name as many words that begin with O as you can. And we'll give you, you know, five bucks for each one you get, you, you name. And so while people are trying to do that at 70 miles an hour, it's, it's pretty entertaining.
1: Welcome to the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast, where we explore the three facets of the modern man and discuss leadership chivalry and style so that you can continue to bring your best to the world hi i'm jeff hendrickson and through impactful subjects and in interviews with men i've known and worked with in various industries over the years you'll learn some valuable lessons about modern men and their struggles and triumphs our interview today is with my friend david markey a super innovative creator and deep thinker David started drawing as a kid, signing up for every class possible, and now, after playing bass in Matt Anthony, among other creative endeavors, he's a filmmaker who innovates, connects, sparks wonder, and solves problems. A native of Cincinnati, Ohio, now living in Boston, David and I met a few years ago while doing a volunteer project for the United Way. I got to know him as a generous, always ready-to-roll guy with a big heart and smile, and we've been friends ever since. Inspired by museums, galleries, bookstores, and travel, he has freelanced on Hollywood blockbusters and now works exploring VR, touchscreen kiosks, floating video, and facial recognition. So let's get over there and see what David has to say in this episode of Sage Warrior Gentleman. All right, David, man, thank you very much for joining me tonight on the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks
0: uh, Thanks for having me, Jeff.
1: Oh man, thank you. I've, I've I've been wanting to talk to you for a while on this. Now, you know, just for everybody listening, uh you and I met um in Cincinnati doing some sort of a creative project and then we come to find out that one of my best buds came up with your dad and those guys were really good friends, which was a crazy story once we got that all figured out.
0: Yeah, that was that was really Bizarre, it was such a funny like phone conversation. You said something like, Oh, my friend John from New York, he's moving to Cincinnati. and I was like, Wait a minute, John Lacoste, and uh, and he, yeah, that's been he's been one of my dad's best friends since they were in college. Um, I think is where they met, yeah. Uh, so, you know, however many years ago that was, yeah, 40, exactly 50, 50 years ago, maybe at this point,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I, I gotta get caught up with John again. John was a really good interview as well, John. Uh, um, John's got a great story, you know, a great, a great back history and everything too. So the interview with him was, uh, was really cool. So, um, you know, uh, like I said, we're going to follow essentially the same format that I do with, with, with all the rest of them. So we'll start off learning. A little bit about you. So first, let's get into your occupation. Tell us a little bit about what you do, kind of give us a little bit of background and and history there, and then we'll go just a little bit deeper after that.
0: Sure. Yeah. So right now I'm a creative director and producer, uh, freelance with my uh, own LLC, Shiny Beast LLC. Uh, I've recently relocated to Boston, so that's where I'm running things now. And what I'm doing there is I'm uh, producing a lot of, you know, videos, animations. I write the scripts, I do the animations, or I freelance it out. And I'm often, with those projects, I'm helping businesses communicate something that they want to communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's, that's my professional career. Now, prior to that, I was in the corporate world for five years uh, with Cedar Fair Entertainment. So they own a bunch of amusement parks uh, around North America. Most people have grown up around one of them. Uh, Cedar Point's probably the one that most people know or Knott's Berry Farm in LA. And so I was leading a team there of designers and videographers and animators and we were producing content to uh, entertain and inform 26 million guests at their amusement parks. Um, and then we would also make promos for Cedar fair products or products for uh, external partners. So we got to make a lot of different stuff. We, we got to make game shows, we got to make documentaries, we got to make commercials, just, you know, anything that you would turn on and see on a TV, we would, we would have our own version of that for, mm-hmm. for people that are in an amusement park.
1: mm mm-hmm. Any of those come to mind as like a real favorite project of yours, one where you really got to, to throw everything that you know at it? I, th-
0: I think the one that uh, kind of became our flagship show uh, was Cash Coaster, which was a, a, a game show that took place on a roller coaster. So we would, <laughs> we would get a host and a, and a guest that we would just pull off of, pull out of the park at random and say, do you want to be on a game show? And we'd put them on this roller coaster They get to the top of the lift hill and they'd say something like name as many words that begin with O as you can and we'll give you, you know, five bucks for each one you get you you name. And so while people are trying to do that at 70 miles an hour, it's it's pretty entertaining. (laughs) <laughs> How were you actually
1: recording them doing that? Did you have somebody sitting in the roller coaster next to them with a microphone or what?
0: Um, no. So we, this, the, what I enjoyed about making this game show, part of it was all the testing that we had to do to, to figure this out, right? Um, we, would, we would do it on the roller coaster while it was still open to the public. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had to have the safety team sign off on everything. You know, you can't, you can't have cameras and microphones flying around at 80 miles an hour. That's, that's not safe. So, so we did a lot of testing to figure out how to do it. And, um, we were using lav mics on, Mm -hmm. so the, so the, uh, host had a lav mic and the guest had a lav mic. And then they had these little, uh, audio recorders that are about the size of a pack of gum. Mm -hmm. And we would just... Jack it into there, uh, tape it so that the cable wouldn't pull out. We learned that the hard way a few times, and stick it in their pocket. And um, and for the video, we were mounting GoPros to the seat in front of them on on the roller coaster. And and the GoPro has such a wide angle of view, it's able to to capture both of them and yeah. uh, both the, the host and the guest. So it, it was, was very cool. It, Yeah, and it was you know it was crazy compared to you know before Cedar Fair I I was I freelanced for ten years and I got to work on all kinds of stuff you know from Hollywood blockbusters down to just your run of the mill corporate videos and and commercials and you know so I was I had been on crews of fifty people two hundred people and you would take an hour to mount a, a camera to a car or something in this case we had that GoPro on and off in less than two minutes, probably, because wow. it was while the, while the roller coaster was still in operation.
1: Mm.
0: So it'd pull in, drop off the guests, we'd slap the GoPro on, use zip ties to secure it. And, uh, and then it was off. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't monitoring the the video or the audio, which is like such a, you know, if you're a veteran video person, that's, that's like terrifying, right? You're just hoping this thing comes <laughs> yeah. back into the station and you've got yeah. something. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a, it was a, it was a different innovative approach to production in which it was, look, we didn't spend a week casting this person. We pulled him off the midway in like 10 minutes. If it messes up, we'll just pull another person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we had a crew of three people as opposed to, you know, if you look at the credits for uh, cash cab, which was kind of, the inspiration for the show um you know they probably have 20 people on the on the hmm. on the crew for that
1: yeah 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 but you, it sounded like you had your timing down to like what a like like an f1 pit stop right <laughs> it comes yeah through.
0: it felt like that it <laughs> felt like that it, it, yeah it, we every everyone had a role you know okay you mic them up you hit record you hit the lock button you unmount and remount the the camera and uh let's let's get it all done you know so that all the rest of the guests were not, we're not holding them up.
1: Yeah. Had your timing down. That's really cool. So um, as we alluded to earlier, you and I met in doing a a volunteer project for United Way and it was a super cool project. I think we ended up calling it what loads of learning or something like that. But one of the things I learned about you really, really fast as well as, as, as how creative you are is how fast you can think on your feet and how willing you always were to jump in and volunteer and say, yeah, man, I'll, I'll take care of that. Sure. And just really bring your expertise to that team. So I'm setting you up here now. All right. So because what I want to get to is I, is, is I want to get to how you work and how the way you work Is kind of affects your family, affects the world at a little bit deeper level because you do think like that. You don't think just for yourself; you think outside the box. And I've seen this in you, and you and I have talked a lot. You and I have sat and had beers before. We've we've had some really good conversations, and so I know you as a thinker. So let's talk a little bit more about your occupation and how you how you feel you affect the world, or you or you affect your family through what you do as an occupation.
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, some of the places where I I saw that the most was I I played in a band for uh, like four years. And it was, for me, it was a, uh, it it wasn't a a career move, really. It was sheerly for the creative, um, you know, joy that I got out of that. And that was an instance where we're making this project out of nothing. You know, it all came from out of our heads, right? And um, we were making music videos, and we were performing shows, and we tried to make our shows as different as possible. And, you know, on the one hand, it's just we're just kind of a garage band that are trying to entertain people while they're drinking beer at the bar. Um, But we had a lot of really deep, profound experiences there. And I made friends for life out of just playing music for 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know? Like we we went, um, toured around a little bit of the Eastern United States and we toured into Canada a little bit and went all these chance meetings with people that turn into something else, right? They turn into uh, collaborations. Like my my favorite band, I think, bar none, regional or national is is a band from Toronto called The Shanks that we met through doing this. And from that, I was able to, we collaborated, I directed some music videos for them and that elevated their brand. And then through, through us meeting those guys, we were able to bring other bands, make roads for them to get into Toronto and play there. And, and then back, you know, backwards, acts in Toronto were able to come to Cincinnati and they had a place to stay and we could tell them what venues to go to. And, and we could bring our fan base to those bands and everyone it's, uh, it's more profound than than I would have suspected that the way that music can bring people together and the stories that we were were sharing with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think so you know i i we we had a drummer at um, for, at one stint in the band. We actually lost him to suicide at one point and and but I had recorded a music video with him prior to that. And so we released the music video kind of as a, it was part of us, like we thought we were going to wrap up the band and not do it anymore. And, you know, there's people out in the audience, like in tears, right? Because of this footage of this, this friend that they lost. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I'd experienced that as well in, you know, my, my final project in film school was a documentary. And it was about my friend's family. They had lost their uncle um, in in a kind of under bizarre circumstances in the '70s. Uh, the official ruling was that he drowned accidentally. The family's suspicion was that he was murdered as uh, part of a you know got wrapped up with the wrong woman kind of thing, kind of a mm-hmm. ex ex husband revenge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, using filmmaking and storytelling in that situation was really powerful to to sit with this family and dig into this pain that they've been carrying for 30 years and then to see them watch back what I made and feel like wow you get it and the whole thing like it that brings it all together mm-hmm. and, they can, and they were able to use that and and show other people and get them interested in the investigation and and dig up more information so yeah. I'd say those are the two examples, I think, that, that, that are the most clear.
1: Yeah, that's so really cool, too. And it shows how you employ empathy in doing all this. You, know, you, you, you have to be empathetic in creating stories like this and in, and in telling these kind of stories and in sharing it with people. So that's, that's really deep. And, yeah, bravo, man. I, I, you know, I, even, though, even, even though you and I have spoken so many times about so many different things, I'm learning brand new things about you right now. And that's, <laughs> you know, and that's another one of the reasons why why I love doing these interviews and doing this podcast, because because as well as sharing these stories with everybody else who's listening, I get to learn some more really cool stuff about my friends and about people that I'm that I'm meeting all the time. You know? Yeah, I love
0: listening to these. I, I learn new things about you even for as much as many discussions as we have. Like, oh, <laughs> this experience that you had, like being a father, or there was something that uh, you know you you'd worked on a farm growing up, and I was like, okay, this is I'm starting to understand the work ethic now, you know, and. <laughs> and and what you went through with soccer and stuff like that I'm like ah now I'm starting to see how Jeff does what he does
1: yeah yeah cool all right so share one of your biggest mistakes with us oh
0: man um so I think I think it's a lot of uh a lot of smaller mistakes that could all many of them could be characterized as maybe not taking a big enough risk. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times I've hedged my bets. I've, I've played it safe and I I've shied away from, from taking the bigger risk, the big, the, the leap of faith. And, um, and, and I wonder, you know, where would I be if I had uh, left Cincinnati earlier? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I had an opportunity to do an internship with New Line Cinema, huge production distribution company um, out out in LA in my last year of, of film school. And I, because of the documentary that I just talked about that I was making, I felt like it wasn't good timing right? Um, and then I find out the following year New, New Line Cinema releases Return of the King of, from like Lord of the Rings, right? Like, so I've often <laughs> thought like, would I have been working on Return of the King, like one of the yeah. most epic movie franchises, you know, in in the world? Um, I don't know, you know. So I, I, I'd say that the, that's one category of mistakes I've made, not, not, maybe not having enough confidence in myself. Mm. Um, And then I think another category of mistakes could probably be categorized as um, being, not embracing a growth mindset, being, feeling entitled, I think, to success without doing the work. Um, Now
1: that's, that's a really cool direction, being entitled. Talk just a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, so I, you know, through no, through no hard work, just through the luck of genetics, I think um, school is really easy for me. Um, I'm, I'm really good at tests, standardized tests. Mm-hmm. I, I see people um, who really struggle with them. And, and I feel bad because that that was never a problem for me. Um, I was always in the accelerated classes. I was, I was, you know, kind of, kind of one of those kids. And I didn't, I didn't really have to study to, to pull that off. And I think, and and I only found this out recently that my mom is the same way. Mm. Um, She, she was, uh, you know, she's also an artist. And she was like a crazy hippie chick, you know, and she would go and hang out all night and party and then roll into her Catholic high school and ace the test without studying. (laughs) And, you know, and it sounds great, but then when you get a little further in life, you kind of realize like there's a plateau to how far that'll get you. And, and you start to see the kids that had to learn how to study and practice start to pass you up in certain things and then once you're out of school the 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 things that school kind of measures you on you know taking tests and reading a book and spitting back out what you know about it um you know school doesn't have a test for social skills school doesn't have a test for romantic (laughs) partnerships you know (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> so I, so some of those things I had to figure out, um, they, they don't even, they don't exactly have a, a a, a test for, you know, resilience. Right. Right. You know, yeah. I didn't like, they don't know whether he, the, the kid next to me might've studied until four in the morning the night before yeah. and his grade might not be as good as mine. Um, so, but you know, if you look at like a military setting, like, that drill sergeant's going to make you do push-ups until you can't anymore. Cause it's not about how many push-ups you can do. It's about what you do when you can't do anymore, do right? You quit or do you keep going? So, you know, so I think that growth mindset is something that I didn't really pick up until I was in my twenties. And, mm-hmm. and then I just had, I had to really get honest about the things that I wasn't good at and then really uh, swallow my pride and, and, and ask for help in some cases, uh, yeah. pick up books and try to try to figure things out that way and practice and you know fall on my face in some areas. Yeah. And and, and I and I still do that. I'm still doing that, you know. Yeah,
1: and you know, saying that you saying that you took until your twenties to to learn those kind of lessons, that's still pretty quick because a lot of research that's been done on on, on how the brain progresses a lot of people don't get that stuff until their thirties. Their brains oh, yeah. are still progressing in a certain way. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to to an audio right now called late bloomers because that's kind of what I am in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I've, I had a lot of great successes when I was younger, but there are a lot of things that, that, that because of my background, I'm starting to employ right now and I'm starting to understand things in a little bit different way than I did when I was younger. So yeah, in your twenties, that's,
0: that's still a pretty early time to do it. So, well, and that's just when I started, you know, because I think yeah. I think where I really jumped into like the learning and the growth mindset thing was when I was working at at Cedar Fair. My office, you know, that was like a forty minute com- forty minute commute there and a forty minute commute home. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started listening to audiobooks. books. Like, yeah. so I was getting in like an hour and a half of reading in a day, and and so that's where it really kicked into high gear. But it actually in my twenties was where I was like, okay. I can't, you know, I I need to, uh, I I still wasn't practicing the music that I was playing with the band to the degree that I should have been. And I was pissed off that the other guys were better songwriters than me. And they're better, you know, they're more talented at their instruments or more creative or whatever. Um, but still at that's that I was in my twenties at that point, but hadn't swallowed my pride yet at that point. Like, Hey man, you just got to put in the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's, let's segue into wins now. We talked about some mistakes, and, and you gave us some, some really good stuff on that. So give us an example of a, of a really big win for you, something that really helped change your perspective and, and, and move you maybe in a different direction.
0: Yeah, I think I, think I would look at my uh, uh, first stint as a freelancer. I, I went into freelance right out of college. I actually started freelancing while I was still in college. And, you know, I wasn't sure where I was going to go with that. Um, but I did that for over 10 years and I, I did it full time. And I, you know, I never had to, you know, hit mom and dad up for money. I was, I was always able to support myself. I was always busier than I, than I needed to be, except for a few stints here and there. I think I had, a you know, my first year of freelancing, there was three weeks where I didn't have any work. And that was the longest I went um, in in that stint. And then I was, I was just busy as I could be. And I was, I got to do a lot of cool things. Like, you know, like I said, uh, you know, music videos and TV shows and, um, you know, documentaries, Hollywood movies, the Avengers franchise and stuff like that. I got to travel around, meet a lot of cool people. Um, We were filming in bomb factories. We were filming in coal mines we were filming in eight million dollar mansions um so so that was a that was a cool run at least for me you know as, as far as like did i did i make a difference in the world I, i'm not sure um, <laughs> um but but I, I i think that storytelling matters and i and i think that even if i was just a guy carrying sandbags on on a marvel movie um that means something. All those kids running around dressed as superheroes, like I had a, I had a teeny tiny, teeny tiny, you know, bit to do with that.
1: Yeah. Agree. Agree. Cool. Okay. So now let's talk about some of, some of the traits. You know, I, I believe that, that modern men embody certain sort of traits and, you know, the whole thing is sage warrior, gentleman, three facets of the modern man. So, to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of these off that I think. If any of these really ring true for you, talk about that. If there's something else that you want to talk about or add into that, then talk about that. So for me, some of the things that I think are things like leadership, honor, integrity has always been a huge one for me. I've really learned that from, from my military father a lot. Confidence and compassion are some of the things that I think are huge. Anything there ring true for you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think those are all great qualities for, for any person. And and I think specifically for men, because that's, that's what we're talking about in this podcast. Definitely. Um, I think about the word integrity a lot. Um, and, and, you know, what, what does that really mean? Right. To, to be integrated, I think, to, to have everything be consistent and nothing to be in conflict. And, and that's, um, that's a hard thing to do. I think, I think on the you know, it's often, the word is used, uh, as a stand in for honesty, right? Do do you mean what you say? Do you do what you say you're going to do? And, and that's been something that, um, that I've always, you know, has been emphasized to me and that I think I picked up. And I think I picked that up from my dad. I think he, he was a, you know, um, fulfill your responsibilities, stay out of trouble, keep your nose clean, you know, pay your bills kind of, kind of guy. And, and, but then when you kind of go a little further with that concept of integrity, you know, it's maybe I'm a person that has a lot of interests. So how I integrate those is really hard, right? Mm, mm. And, it, and it's not, you know, whether I'm a musician or whether I'm a filmmaker, it's not a, it's not a, a, a question of morality, one's not good or bad, yeah. but how to integrate those interests so that I can be as effective as I can be. Um, that's, that's been a big challenge for me.
1: Yeah, and that's a really cool perspective too. The way you started off, you know – using this from, from the term of integration and working in through it that way. I've never heard anybody talk about it like that before, and that's that's really cool. But also, yes, as a creative, and this is, I think, another one of the reasons why you and I have connected as strongly as we have is because we're both creatives. We've both always got a lot of ideas in our head. And, yeah, figuring out how to put those ideas together in a way where you can still practice integrity, where people still know but even though you're throwing a bunch of stuff around you're still there you're still the same person you're still doing it the way you would do if you were just concentrating on one thing
0: yeah and I think I think if you can really you know i I've banged my head up against the wall trying to figure out what's my calling in life what's what which of all these different interests is what I should really be doing um, you know, if if you if you knew as much, if you knew all that you could, and if you had a crystal ball for how things would would play out, um, it probably would become a question. It probably would become a question of morality as to whether well, I pursue advertising or entertainment or yeah, you know, just art, right? Um, I, I don't I, think I don't, you would. I don't,
1: th- I, I, I don't think you would learn as much that way either, right? If you had a crystal ball and you knew everything, to me, that, that would kind of take away some of the beauty of, of, of making the mistakes sometimes we yeah. have to make in yeah. order to learn something, right? Because sometimes, it's, sometimes it's, it's the hardest lessons that we have to learn the biggest mistakes we make that actually teach us something. And, and you've kind of alluded to that today so far also.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's
1: definitely, definitely true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool.
1: Okay. So let me ask you a big question now. What does chivalry mean to you?
0: I think, well, I, you know, I am, a, I'm kind of a word guy. Um, and so the, the old meaning of it coming from knighthood, right? It was the code that the knights followed. Um, it, what is, what does that mean today? You know, um, that's, that's, I, I think what it, why well, I think what it used to mean or what it, what it, it is that the role of a gentleman uh, or a gentleman warrior is to protect the weak. I think, I think that's Mm -hmm. part of what it was. So, and and, and that usually meant women and it, and it usually meant, you know, uh, uh, maybe orphans and old people and and stuff like that. So it was use, use your strength, use your power to protect the people that can't protect themselves. Um, I think that's the classical meaning of it. Um, I, I think we're at an interesting point here in the 21st century, where you know, uh, I, I, I hear some women and they don't want men to open doors for them. Some right. of them still do want that. Uh, they they don't want men to view themselves as as needing to protect them, um, or they or they don't want to view themselves as needing a man's protection, and and maybe they don't. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think there's also that's also generated a lot of confusion and I think it did for me too as a young man like well what what should I do am I should I be the nice guy should I be the polite guy or not like is that welcome or not and um so you know I think what I've come around to where I'm at now I'll turn 40 in a couple weeks is that our unique space as, as men, and even what, what, you know, who is a man and who is not is, is up for interpretation now too. Um, But, you know, biologically, I think it's, it's in general, we're bigger, we're stronger, we're more um, capable of aggression. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, you know, kind of true even for our, our primate ancestors. Sure. Um, so what do we, what's a responsible use of that aggression and, and, and that sort of, you know, way that nature has shaped us. And, and I think it is to, you know, um, I I think what we need to do more now is it's not necessarily that we have to protect people that are weaker than us. I, I think what they mostly need protection from is us, right? That's, I think that you, you, we're seeing that it, with a lot of um, the Me Too movement and stuff. It's like let's sure. stop telling women how to avoid being a victim, and let's start telling men don't victimize people. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and and I think that there is a uh, you know I think I think there is a role for men to play as far uh, that as far as uh, being a protector um but it might not mean beating up the bad guy right in, in the classical sense it might mean speaking up when you see something wrong happening uh it might mean you know listening when someone else is is telling you that you know something something terrible happened to them right um and 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 giving giving focus. Right. Um, and, and not kind of cause, cause chivalry, it can be, it can become when misapplied, I think it can become a it, all about me thing. Look at me. I'm the big, strong guy. Yeah. I'm the protector. Um, and, and then that's not serving the person that you are protecting ostensibly. It's serving your own ego. So yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a nuance of evolution right? Because we have to keep evolving. Once we stop evolving, game over. Mm-hmm. So we we have to keep getting better somehow or another. And yeah, I, th- I think that can all play into it. So all right, let's see, moving down my list of questions here. What does style mean to you as a gentleman?
0: Yeah, so I, you know, um I think we, we I think, we're usually talking about how a person dresses, and maybe how they decorate their surroundings, and and all of that. It could be said like how how does one ex- express themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, style, I think, could also be how you interact with someone. What what's a, what's a person's interpersonal style? Are they uh, ag- aggressive, bull in the china shop, or are they the the slick? you know, um, charmer, right. How do they, how do they do that? Um, as far as like fashion, you know, I know that's, that's a big area of interest for you as a, as a guy that came out of the fashion world. I, that was, that was one of those things I had to learn, right. That was one of those things where I had to, I, I <laughs> I'll send you I'll if I can find them, I'll send you pictures of, of me in college wearing my like Cosby sweaters and, and these terrible khakis that were like you know like a size too small or whatever, and <laughs> there were not a lot of good fashion role models in the in the early two thousands, late nineties. At least that's that's how I felt, and and I didn't you know as part of that entitled thing, I didn't think that was something I needed to worry about. I thought I'm a I'm a guy that's you know all, all I knew really was school, and I was successful in that regard. So what do I need fashion for? So Um, but I had to kind of figure out that like, yeah, it does matter, you know, and, and it is, people are gonna, people are gonna react to you and they're gonna size you up based on that very quickly. So, um, So I think that's what style means. The other other quote I like that's not exactly related to those things is um, a director I used to work with would say, there is no such thing as style, only solutions to problems. Hmm. I, I
1: like that. There is no such thing as style, only solution to problems. So that's pretty cool. I don't know if I quite understand that just yet. That's pretty cool. Now, now, now see, now you've given me something to really think about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, which, you
1: know, which you normally always do. Anytime I walk away from hanging out with you, there's always something like, wow, yeah, I never thought of it that way before. <laughs> yeah. <to go>, <laughs>
0: it was like well when i was in film school one of the things that would always bother me was that all these all these film students would say well this is my style and this is my style this is how i make movies you know i i shoot a scene and i only i don't do any cuts and it was it all became this sort of pretentious uh ornamental stuff and and i think that to view it through the lens of, okay, well, there's, you know, if you approach it as there's just solutions to problems, I think, I think that's interesting. And, I, and as designers, I think we, we approach things often as, as problems, right? Problems that need solutions.
1: Sure we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. You're right. I, everything is designed, right? I mean, you, you, you look at some of the, you know, the great people of design like Don Norman and, you know, the people at IDEO. And yeah, it's, 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 it's always the questions that you ask first to try to determine how to, how to write what that problem might be, or how to, how to understand it in a way that, that allows you to, um, to walk towards it. And, 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 you know, you, you know, me as a UXer, I, I, I'm always asking questions. I'm always digging in to try to, to try to find out, um, where we need to focus and what we can set aside for maybe a little bit later on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So how about health? Um, that's going to be one of the last areas we're going to talk about and then we'll maybe talk about a few other things, but let's, let's talk about health too and how you feel health really plays into being a, a sage or a warrior and a gentleman.
0: Yeah. I, I think health is really important and um, you know, I think where it all started to make sense to me was I stopped going to your typical doctors at, at a certain point. I started going to, um, what do they call it? integrative medicine, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I, I think that that's what this one uh, clinic, that's what they call it. But more broadly, it's probably referred to as functional medicine. Mm. Um, and in their, in all of their, um, you know, posters on their walls and stuff, they show health as being kind of this spider web of your physical health, your genetics, your metabolism, your social relationships, your financial situation. All of that is, are things that these people consider when they're evaluating your health and they're, they're, you know, board certified MDs, just like your regular doctor. So there it's not, you know, cuckoo crystals and, and whatever. Um, you know, but they, they, they will do some things that are not traditional Western medicine. So I did acupuncture. Mm. Um, and, and I I like to experiment with stuff like that, float tanks, um, you know, things like that were just, just anything that, that might, uh, unlock something. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I try to take that sort of integrative, comprehensive, holistic approach to my health, um, addressing the biology to the degree that I can and addressing psychology mm-hmm. and, and emotions and, and That's the mind body connection. Yep. Yep. And social relationships. I think that all, that all plays into it. That's
1: huge. I yeah. agree. And yeah. I never would have thought about that before. I'd, I'd never really heard of putting those terms. That's neat. Thanks.
0: Yeah. That, I, I just read a book. It's a uh, habits of a happy brain. And this, this lady's a neuropsychologist, I think, or a neurobiologist. And so she's talking about how, how serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins, and I might be missing one, how those all function. Those are the things that basically make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And the things that have a negative impact on those things are pretty specific, right? Serotonin yeah. is like your status in society. Dopamine is like uh, accomplishing goals. And, uh, endorphin is like, um, you know, that's like a runner's high, right? Wow. It releases endorphin, So, uh, it's a, uh, it's a natural painkiller. Hmm. And then, uh, oxytocin is social connection, right? Yeah. So when you're and 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 you know, I love the the integrative medicine place um, because their book that kind of outlines their whole approach to to health. Kind of kind of takes all of that into account. If your psychology suffers, mm-hmm. it's going to come out in your in your physicality, and vice versa. And sure, it's all it's all linked.
1: Do me a favor. And, um, after we get finished, just shoot me a little email with uh, the title of that book. I'd like to find that on Amazon. I'm going to put that in the, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to, wants to check out that book, because that sounds really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Sounds super fascinating. All right, cool. So, um, pretty much down to the end now. And so final question is this, if you were to mentor a younger man in what area, do you feel you would have the strongest influence?
0: Hmm. I think, I think where I've been helpful before was um, helping younger men in, in the creative field, uh, you know, with career advice and, and things like that. And, and also, you know, if, if people are stuck artistically, I've been able to help them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially the, the, you know, even in the band, I remember we, we had the last minute jitters about releasing a CD (laughs) and, 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 you know, and I, I was like, I was the oldest guy in the band at that point by, by a number of years. I don't know if it was a function of my age or what, but I was just like, no, we, if we are artists, we, it's our job to put it out there. Mm -hmm. It might not be perfect. It might not have come out the way that we expected. But we can't, we can't, it's, it's just such a bad habit to, to get to the finish line on something and then not go that one step further and put it out in the world. And I've done that with my own art and it's, it's a terrible habit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Okay, cool. That, uh, yeah. You do it once
0: and then it's that much easier to do it again and mm-hmm. again and again. And and soon you're, you're making lots of stuff that no one ever sees and nothing ever. Okay occurs yeah me. I've
1: I've 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 kind of been guilty of that too with all the paintings that I've done you know and just thinking ah it's not there yet but it's funny because you know anybody who comes and sees me at the apartment and I've got this stuff up on the wall they look at it and they're like whoa that's so cool and I'm like <laughs> you know I, I I can think of 15 things wrong with it but they look at it and they go, no man that's fantastic go, oh okay, okay okay
0: yeah yeah <laughs> you, gotta do, you, you gotta do a show man you're gonna you, have you done your own show at the at, uh, arts on the avenue
1: uh nope but who knows if they're ever going to open up again as soon as anything that's going to happen and and uh yeah i i don't
0: know there'll, there'll be, be a point. gallery somewhere and yeah exactly they definitely they're put galleries. your get your paintings yeah a, a jeff a, hendrickson yeah. show i want to see yeah. yeah cool man
1: all right. So we've pretty much wrapped it up, man. I, I, I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Uh, the last question I ask everybody that I interview is this. Is there anything else you would like to say?
0: I think we've covered a lot of stuff. Um, I, just, I just hope everyone out there uh, stays safe, stays sane, and uh, just keeps driving. Yeah. Cool. Okay, man. Well, thank you very much. This is, this has been
1: awesome. This is going to be uh, a great podcast for me to put out there. I'll have it done pretty fast and and up in a lot of places. I'll send you the link as soon as it's ready too. Okay.
0: Excellent. Thank cool, you, Cool, man. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it, man. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm just really thankful that I get to be a part of this and thankful that you're, you're a friend of mine. Cool, man. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you Thanks. soon. Bye. Bye.
1: So, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman Podcast. And remember that you can join us and get a free guide over at sagewarriorgentleman.com. We'd love to have you join our conversation and please help us spread the word if you feel this could help someone you know and care about.